From New York City, the Comedy Cellar and Rethink Production present Live from America podcast. I believe we can keep the promise of our founding. The idea uh, that no. if you're willing to work hard, <laughs> it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from no, or what does. you look like or where you love. It doesn't matter whether you're black or white uh, or Hispanic or Asian turns out or you're Native wrong. American or young or old or rich or poor, able, disabled, gay or straight. You can make it here in America if you're willing to try. This is Live from America podcast with Noam Dorman and Hadam Gab. Adam Gab. Good evening and welcome to Live from America with Noam Dorman and Hadam Gar. Somebody did you a favor by making that intro, right? That's why you let them pronounce your name wrong. You they can't to... say my name. You... Hadam Gab. Nobody can say my name. When, not, I thought when, it was when, you're not, when you're not paying for something, you get what you pay for. Go ahead. Sorry. I actually paid for it. Then you should, then you not should have them fix money. it. I, I will, but I didn't know. They, they can't fix it. I don't know what to do. We'll okay. see. We'll get a new one anyway, the one with the, with the intro. So, uh, good evening and welcome. Uh, we have a new show for you tonight with very special guests. Uh, we have Mr. Clint Watts. He served as a U.S. Army officer and FBI special agent in a Joint Terrorism Task Force. Uh, welcome. You That's look right. familiar. I'm part of the oppression. You look familiar <laughs> to me. And You've Mr. Dan Nanaman. Let's just get Dan to it. Hot Tim. No. This no. is a sting. <laughs> <laughs> it's an intervention. Comedian Dan Nanaman, finalist at America Got Talent. And Semi-finalist. No, finalist to all of us. Okay. Yeah. Winner to all of us. So, uh, you are a winner to all of us. You should have won that thing. But no, like, I shouldn't have. If you weren't the jewel, you probably so. would have won it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, well, and Liz, the comedy seller, GM, and my good friend, she finally agreed to be here. Had him. And Debo, of course. Yo. We have an FBI, was, was FBI special agent? Yeah. Investigating what type of things? I, did, I was on a joint terrorism task force briefly before I quit. And then I came back to counterterrorism later at the FBI. So I can't hold a job, is what I'm but saying. But you're not doing it now. No. No, but you know people who are. Uh, yeah, What's your point? So. I know where you're getting to. Is yeah. Noam a permanent co-host of this, or do I have to treat him with deference or not? Uh, yes, no, 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 don't. Why, why do you think I sit in the chair? As well. why, why do you think I'm getting? I'm not getting something. I'm just fascinated. Like, like you know, we 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 spend all this time like wondering about what's what's really going on. He actually knows what's going on. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, he is an FBI, so we're not sure. Yeah, am I a trusted agent or not? I guess that's a question you have to ask. I trust you. Wait, talk in your mic. I'm going to turn you up a little. Go ahead, talk. A three and a four. Just keep talking. I'll keep talking. <laughs> keep talking. Are, you, are you recording an FBI agent? <laughs> Seriously. Uh, Does he I don't, know? I didn't sign a consent form, so I don't know how I feel about this. Oh, okay. okay, I got it. All right, so uh, so let me, can I can I, can we jump right in? Go ahead. Go Listen. Ahead. I'll so, tell you anything that doesn't get me thrown in jail. All right. For the most part. I am worried, sick about uh, terrorism in in New York City. I I can't believe we haven't had a bad attack so far. Yes. And I feel, like, not that I want anything bad to happen to anybody, but I feel like it's almost worse that nothing has happened because I feel like we're we're entering into this this total sense of complacency, kind of like New Orleans just gave up worrying about hurricanes. Right. And then Katrina happened, and they say, oh, shit, we, we didn't listen to anybody all this time. So what, what do you think about that? So I think there's a couple of things we should think about. One, since when I was a brand new, I was in the 9-11 boom. I came to the FBI because we needed a bunch of new FBI agents. So I slipped in when the bar was real low, you know, and got in. <laughs> and uh, when I was a terrorism agent, the FBI was in turmoil. You know, this is post 9-11. Uh, they were trying to figure out what to do. They missed the 9-11 attacks. And I would tell you, 
as much as I didn't like my first experience with the FBI, I really love my second experience. And that's because they became an intelligence-led organization. So intelligence, you say that in New York City, people think they're spying on, you know, everyone. But what that means is they got to, we're not going to look at every crazy lead. We're going to think about what do the terrorists want to do, and we're going to try and get in front of it, and we're going to try and stop them. And so I would tell you the FBI today has changed from the bank robber scenario, you know, think of the movie Heat, De Niro, that Point kind of break. stuff. Point break, yeah. that Point kind of thing. Break. Which there were a lot of old okay. FBI agents when I started were like, hey, you, you terrorism guys, whatever, you need to shut up because we're going to be back running bank robberies. And that was all nonsense. The truth was we were moving to terrorism, counterintelligence, cybercrime, white-collar crime, the big things that affect the whole country. And so the FBI has improved dramatically. Homeland Security has got its problems, but it's better than it was. And overseas, our intelligence has gotten way better. Now, the problem. There are more foreign fighters floating around the world today than any time in human history. You're sitting next to one. I, I know. <laughs> I like, Why did you look at me? That's right. We call it a research project. Uh, <laughs> maybe this is an ethnographic study that I'm conducting right now. But the point is, uh, with ISIS, they mobilized more foreign fighters than anybody before them. Yeah. And so any way you look at it, as good as the FBI is, uh, when you have a politician going around our country saying they're going to ban Muslims or we want to re essentially refight the Crusades in the Middle East, you've got a huge problem. Groups like al-Qaeda, which have totally been decimated, ISIS, which is almost gone, I mean totally on the wane, suddenly have new lifeblood. Uh, all the grievances that they played on in the Middle East and the Muslim world in general are now inflamed again. And I think you're seeing it already with the Trump transition team a move back to be like, hey, I don't know if you realize the last 10 years we've been trying to move away from inflaming the entire world against us. The numbers are against us with terrorism. Any way you cut it, there's thousands of trained fighters that are floating around the world right now who have passports, who've gotten into Europe repeatedly. We've seen that over the past couple of years. As refugees. Some of them. A fraction. The uh, the big misconception you see in the Small news is fraction, that correct? Yeah, yeah, is that they're refugees. Most of these guys, uh, they're from Europe. They grew up there. They went to ISIS and they came back. They there's came... a lot of American the guys yeah, who like the, the guy born who, here who shot up uh, Paris and mm -hmm. uh, these yeah. were, these, these, were, these yeah. are guys from Belgium. These are guys from Paris. They grew up there. So part of the reason they were able to come back is they're hitting neighborhoods they know. They've been there before. The reason we don't detect them is they're not like the al-Qaeda cells we saw coming into the United States where they're immigrants or foreigners that are coming into the U.S. and we can pick up on them. These are guys that are from the neighborhood you know. The targets that got hit in Paris and Belgium, these guys picked them because they were places they knew. They didn't have to recon a, a bar or a nightclub that they walked past. They didn't have to look at a football stadium. They've been there a dozen times. So they, they were the hitting, comedy cellar. Or the comedy cellar. No, I, I have people. They're not going to. But they, they've been <laughs> in these places. I know people. That's why we so al-Qaeda would go through these intricate plots or whatever. These guys, they're as criminal as they are pious. But the but, profile changed, right? It's yeah. not only like people like look like Liz, you. but also people that could look like uh, Noam, right? Right. If there's anything See? I've learned in my years of terrorism is there is no one profile of a terrorist. Every time you think, oh, it's going to be like this, it's like something else. And uh, when, can, can I just can I just 
push back on that? Yeah, sure. Every time there's a terrorist attack, I look at the picture on the TV. It looks like the same person. I mean, not the same person, but it looks like definitely in the same category. Because you watch Fox News. I haven't News. seen any. No. I watch Fox News. I haven't watch seen CNN. like blonde hair, blue eyed terrorists or guys who look like me or guys who look like I Dan can, or, or women. I can, I can show you a bunch like that. No there's way. converts all the time that join up. I don't doubt that, but I'm saying, but I'm saying, like the last like five or six incidents, all Paris, Nice, Belgium, Orlando, two different uh, things. We're super. The, the guy, the Uber driver that got caught, the, all, even Ohio State. These are all from because the same. Maybe, maybe your definition the same tree, of no? terrorism is different. What about the guy that shot people in the church? That's terrorism. He's white, but yeah, uh huh, yeah. I, thank I, you. Thank I'll you give much. you an example. To, I, I'll give you a couple things to think about. I'm not going to tell you you're That's right or wrong, terrorism. but I'm going to give you a it's couple not, examples. It's not terrorism. It's, so, it's not terrorism in the sense of what we're worried about as a country fighting terror, but go ahead. So in my terrorism days, there was this big push around Iraq, and they were like, oh, you know, IEDs, improvised explosive devices. They're going to come. My wife you. uses one, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> they're going to come back to the United States, and they're going to be on highways in America, and it's going to be al-Qaeda. They're going to do it. And we got all ramped up around this. And you know what? There was an IED, and it was at a Martin Luther King parade in Spokane, Washington. And guess who built it? A former army veteran from the U.S. Army who was a white supremacist who's from there a community go. in northern Idaho, See? which is where we had Ruby Ridge, if you mm -hmm. remember back into the 90s. I remember Ruby Ridge. And that all sort of just drifted away. But I think Noam's point is in terms of what could cripple us and destroy us as a nation, probably not white supremacy. Well, may maybe, but probably not white supremacy. When we think of the worst that could possibly happen, we think of Islamic terrorism. I don't. I think of cyber attacks. I, I, I think these things, having the more I'm around terrorism, the less worried I am about it. I like this guy. Ultimately, <laughs> ultimately <laughs> terrorism is bad, and you're going to see awful things. Uh, what you see in Europe is a very different scenario from what we have here. In Europe, you have thousands of foreign fighters that went and joined ISIS. They are from immigrant and refugee communities. Yeah. You, could, you can say that legitimately. They are. Yes. Yeah, that's what I said. We don't have that same scenario in the U.S. If I went out on a terrorism lead in the United States, it would not be like going out on a terrorism lead in Paris or Brussels, which has a huge problem. The Netherlands has a large problem. A lot of these small European countries have big immigration problems where these communities are very isolated, uh, and it's created a lot of foreign fighters that travel to Syria, and they've traveled back. That's the other thing. We, we are in this notion now ISIS is falling and all these guys are traveling all around. There. No, no, no. This has been going on for years. These guys have been in Europe sometimes nine, ten months plotting and prepping attacks. We are super lucky there's an ocean between us, number one, us and most of these battlefields. Number two, the other thing we're lucky ab about is our communities are not immigrant communities that are in slums in the same way that you see in Europe. We've got a couple cases with Somalia, for example. Uh, Minnesota, we had a lot of guys go and join Shabab. But most of the recruits that are coming from the United States are ones and twos. If you went to Europe right now, you can find communities where it's 15, 20, 25 kids from the same neighborhoods that have gone to Syria and come back. And once they go, they come back, they're trained, experienced, and they recruit others locally. And that's what you see in Paris, Brussels. You saw it in Istanbul. You're seeing it actually Russia and China have a problem really bad for the first time with these foreign fighters. And why don't we have that problem? Our communities are much more integrated, with the exception of uh, the Somalis in Minnesota, Cincinnati, Maine, a few of these immigrant communities. They're much more integrated. There's a lot more opportunity, and we're much more open. Uh, and you get a lot of help me, from people me, like let us. Let me ask you this question. Yep. 
because because the arguments you're making, I I I listen. They're good news if they, if you're correct. They're good news. But I but in my in my heart, I don't believe them, because well, let me ask you the question: If there was not any intense counterintelligence operation in this country, if the FBI was not doing whatever they do, and the Homeland Security, how many terrorist deaths do you think we uh, we'd have in this country over the last five years? Uh, we'd ha we definitely have more. How many? And if, if, if there was just like, do it, like essentially, if, if we put the same attention to that yeah. that we put to Dylan Roof type people, if they, if they, if, they, if terrorism, if Islamic terrorism commanded right. the same resources as you know uh, Dylan Roof did, which is zero, how many deaths would we have? You talking think, to me or him? him. Oh, I okay. think you'd have less than you might expect. <laughs> I can put a number. Let's say thousands. I think. I think like just in the plots uh, that I, I know that they foiled. Hundreds. Just in the plots that I know that they've—they almost blew up the Brooklyn Bridge, right? There was a plot. There was a plot to blow up the Brooklyn no, no, Bridge. No. So why didn't we have almost these blowing accounts? up the Brooklyn Bridge? Aspirational versus blowing up the Brooklyn Bridge are two different things. And I can tell you from but going we, to we, talk we, to we actual terrorists, when you go talk to them, yeah, you go, "There's the 24 Jack Bauer. I'm going to blow it up, <laughs> and if I don't torture you and jam water down your mouth, then you're not going to tell me." But mostly when you go talk to them. Uh, they might be like, hey, look, I'm thinking about blowing that up, but my girlfriend's not really in favor of it, and I smoked a little bit of weed a little while ago, and so I'm not really Muslims sure don't about smoke it. weed. Oh, no, we do. I'm just thinking. So are you saying the, the, that they've never foiled any terrorist plot that involved uh, – uh, anything radioactive or anything poisonous or, or what's the powder that they... Sure, they, but they, I, uh, I think there's different, anthrax. there's difference between the aspirational thoughts of thinking about building those things and being close to actually putting it together. So they've never foiled a plot like that? I don't know exactly what all of they they foiled, but I would tell you that there are lots of people that talk about a lot of ideas, and there's only a very few that can... Because my theory is that the Dylan Roofs, which you call terrorism, whether he's crazy or his actual terrorism, we get 100 hundred percent of the crazy white people who want to go blow up a church basically go blow up a church right and there's no, nothing no way to stop them no way to catch them unless they're stupid enough to tell somebody and they're luckily there's very few of them and very few of them and and we don't we spend what is it tens of billions of dollars to keep Muslim terrorism at bay I mean if if what you're saying is true what, let's let's stop wasting the money I, I'm with you I think you could probably do a large reduction in counterterrorism spending. And get the same results, if not a little. I'd bit be happy better. just to wear my shoes on the airplane yes. through, through the gate. <laughs> and that's all. Well, you're you're gonna gonna let, let, let me ask you something. On the other hand, no. uh, you got you guys get a great deal of information and help from other Muslim countries. And you're saying you guys. Correct? I I am an independent speaker. I should say that doesn't speak for the FBI. But I would tell you that. No, you guys are as you know. White people. White, white people. oppressors. White people. Like white, white people <laughs> like him. So, I would tell you we get a lot of support from certain go. countries uh -huh. as opposed to others. So there are good partners, and there are mixed partners, and there are bad partners. There you partners. go, Noam. And so there are certain countries that have been incredibly helpful yeah. in the war on terror. I think, obviously, Israel is a huge partner uh. in Mesolis. But I would also tell <laughs> I you— I liked it to that point. I can, Israel? I can give you another example, though. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, that is very unspoken, which is Jordan. I think Jordan has been a huge partner. Yeah, Jordan's like Canada. Nobody cares about them. I do. I mean, they've been huge, I think, in the counterterrorism fight. Yeah, King uh, Abdullah is a good uh, good guy. Yeah. There's a guy. lot of countries, though, that play a double game. Yeah. And so it, they are highly incentivized to keep a low level of terrorism to get a whole lot of terrorism dollars, so the Americans. So, so what, essentially what you're saying is that 
there's something special about America such that the behavior that is spreading like a cancer throughout the entire Arab world and through Europe is somehow not going to happen here. I don't know that anymore because things have changed in the U.S. just over the last decade from when I started this. I mean, the, the approach we used was much more multiculturalism integration, yeah. which has its pluses and minuses, and we are now very much in a pendulum swing back the other way. If you look back to even George Bush, who was a Republican, his strategy was we're going to rebuild the Middle East uh, like ourselves. We're going to create democracies as a way to push back all sorts of oppression. That will root out terrorism. And that was a huge disaster. We can't make those countries like us. And so then we moved to a much more pragmatic approach, which was the Obama administration was, I don't care what goes on, really. I just want Iraq to be over, and I want to get guys out of the Afghanistan. That's what we're going to do. And so we went to targeted killing, basically. This is drones. This is hunt and seek. Mm -hmm. This is special ops. That is the Syria approach. We'll let them rot there. We'll try and contain them. We'll go after the big fish. We are now swinging back to the only way that we can deal with this is to root out all of those countries. Uh, and you're seeing, if you look at General Flynn, the national security advisor, uh, Trump, who is very weak on national security, but just is sort of tossing it over to these folks, they are much more in the we need to bring about a secular Middle East in order to secure ourselves. And that means lumping in all of the Arab Middle East with Iran, because they're also Muslim, uh, connecting them with China and North Korea, which are always seeing, already seeing a lot of agitation towards China, and creating essentially a polar world again where we're back towards nation states and proxies fighting against each other. Uh, and that's a different strategy. So that would not even be the strategy you'd have of the Bushes. So, like, if, you've, if you rewind back, you know, to right after 9-11, it was the axis of evil. We're doing the axis of evil again, but we're not going through democracy as the solution. We're going through, let's just back some dictators and let's get rid of these guys. And so that's a third approach. So and back I, to it was mm -hmm. before. Uh, back to it was more in the 90s. This looks yeah. a lot like the 1990s, which was Bill Clinton. Who yeah. Bill Clinton's strategy, if you look at it, was very much, I'm not going to pay attention to these areas. I just want it to sort of not go bad. I'm going to contain it. What al-Qaeda did during that period was their, their strategy was, I'm going to topple the United States because they back all the local dictators in the region. If I can get the U.S. to withdraw from the Middle East, now I can go at these local regimes. Um, we are looking a lot more at that trajectory. Luckily, al-Qaeda, core al-Qaeda, has been largely decimated, but we've got this Islamic State, you know, awful variant that has come up in its wake. Uh, it's the next generation, and so I don't know which direction it'll go. really depends on how... You know, Trump has talked a lot in the campaign, but he's already backed away from a lot of those things. And he's brought in a lot of pragmatists, too. Or it looks like he will. Yeah. So, okay, yeah. I, I want to ask you a question because you said uh, it takes like uh, 10 months for a terrorist to plan something. I said that? About 9, 10 months, you said? Uh, no, I mean, it, it depends on how good the terrorist is. Yeah. Uh, you know, like if they're not super good, they might decide to do go pick up a shotgun and show up someplace in a week. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like, isn't it just take this bag, press the button, and like it done? Like, so, so why is this not happening more often? This, like is said? this is why ISIS has become so much more effective than Al-Qaeda did. Yeah. So Al-Qaeda were like the smart guys in college that no one liked. And so they would recruit guys that were very smart yeah. and very angry and highly ideological. Yeah. And they would take a Muhammad Atta who put together a 9-11 plot, and they would slowly put together a complex plot to take down the World Trade Center. 
ISIS has sort of skipped all that. They have recruited anybody that wants to show up. And once they show up in Syria, they get a lot of training, they get equipment, they get money, and then they say, hey, you know what? You should yeah. go back home. They go back home, they communicate back with headquarters, and they say, you know what would be a great target to hit? I know the Bataclan Theater, and I know this stadium, and I know some guys down the street who are kufers. You know, they're non-believers, and why don't we hit that? And they say, okay, what do you need to get that done? So aren't you making an argument against the refugees? Sure, you could say that they're integrating with the refugees, but I would tell you most the attackers in Paris, the attackers in Belgium, they're not refugees. These are guys that are from those places. They're attacking where they're from. They're going back home and conducting attacks where they're from. No, they the have passports. They don't no, need to but be what refugees. What I'm saying is at the point where you have, I'm, I'm, I'm presuming. Here's why a refugee is a bad operative. Maybe I can explain that. I'm presuming that ISIS would like to do damage in America. Absolutely. So at the point where they have trainees in Syria, got to be very easy to have them pass for a refugee at this point. But what's wrong with why the wouldn't they? What's wrong with a refugee? Let's say. Let's, let's all go back to the first time we left America, if you've, went, if you've gone overseas. Now you're going overseas for the first time. You don't speak the language of the place you've been to. He still doesn't speak language, but go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> That's right. You, you, don't, you don't know where you're going. You're trying to figure out where to go. You have no friends when you get there. So what do you do? Your mission is to go into a foreign country, a language you don't speak, in a place you don't know, mm -hmm. pick out a target, recon it, not get detected, Find a device, find a weapon, and conduct an attack that is effective. Sounds great. Uh, I mean, so, I'm sorry, did I say that <laughs> out loud? Yeah, seriously. Or you rent a train, a, 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 an SUV at, 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 at Avis and just drive through the, the Times Square in the and middle of. Everybody has tried to do this. Al Qaeda tried to do this. The Millennium Plot, 2000. They tried sending an operative across into Washington. He got to Port Angeles. He was sweating so hard, the border guard stopped him <laughs> and said, Hey, what are you doing? He couldn't even complete a sentence. It tipped wow. off the most basic screener. Now, take... At least we, we had a screener. We call them, yeah, we call them clean skins. So Al-Qaeda was like, we got to find guys with passports that can go back into the United States because they know how to navigate and they so can talk. Me. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> they don't set off alarm bells. They know the neighborhoods that they go to. Uh -huh. So I'll be right back. They they <laughs> they, rec they recruited like crazy, I'm and they busted, busted. They, they maybe churned up a half dozen, and it didn't always go well. Uh, you saw some of them. Zazi, for example, he was the guy that was out in Colorado that tried putting together the, uh, you know, the bomb and was going to come to New York City and detonate, and he got caught. He couldn't put the bomb together. It wasn't technically trained. ISIS has done the reverse. Anybody can come in. You come from France. You come from Belgium. You come from the UK. Come on in. You train. You fight on the battlefield. You build networks. Now we're going to send you back. You're trained. You can already get back into the country. You have your own network at home that can protect you. You can put together the device. You can actually gain entry to the target. And now that you're trained and experienced here in Syria, you can execute the attack. And they've done that wildly across all of Europe. They've done that throughout the Middle East, and they've done that throughout South Asia with these foreign fighters. We are lucky in the U.S. that we've had so few folks actually go to ISIS. We've picked off a lot of them. There's a lot less interest. We've had even fewer come back. We're super lucky that we're the United States. We've got an ocean between us. We do have good border controls. We do have good intelligence. We have very low recruitment rates. Most of these guys are off the Internet. Europe, though, has a reverse problem. They've got thousands of guys that are very angry, that can't come home, 
that are now going to settle in a bunch of terrorist hotspots in Africa, the Middle East, and South Asia. And ultimately, they're going to want to do attacks back in Europe. And I, I think that's hugely problematic. And they've got access in ways that it's very difficult to get access to the United States. So I'm not trying to say we shouldn't do border control and refugees and all that. We should. But the best recruit is what we call a clean skin. Somebody you pull in from Europe or the U.S. that has access back into your target country, that speaks the language, doesn't draw signals, knows the target, that's your home run if you're a terrorist group. Well, well I, hope, I hope you're right, that, but I, I, I'm skeptical, but I hope you're right. I mean, you know, if, if we were talking, uh, if, we, if we were having this conversation on September 10th, 2001, I think we'd probably be having the same conversation, uh, and then so all of a sudden one of them really does get through. We, we'd be talking about, yeah, they're, they're so incompetent, they tried to blow up the World Trade Center, blowing up a, a car in the garage, they don't know what they're doing, Never, you know, they're, they're just a bunch of gang who can't shoot straight. And then 9-11 showed, oh, you know, you, you can't count on that. Uh, you can count on that only so much, you know. But I don't think it's about policies at home. I think it's about what we're Foreign doing policies, overseas. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, if you look at, I don't know. at, at what's yeah. going on with the drone strikes, the targeting, uh, if there was a great article in the New York Times two weeks ago, uh, the guys that were doing the one-to-one -one recruitment of Americans in the States, they were decimated over the past year and a half. Uh, they were, you know, getting on social media, talking to The Americans. drone strikes are effective is what you're saying. Yeah, very effective. Now, do they solve 100% of the problem? Do they create terrorists? I you know, think that's overhyped. You think? I, I agree yeah. with you on that. I think if you go into places like Pakistan, there's been some polling done on it. it it's kind of like a drug den. Let's say you go into a neighborhood that's rife with drugs, and you're like, hey, uh, why don't you hang around that house over there? And they'll go, well... That's where the cops are going to show up because there's a drug den there. They're like, do you really get upset if the cops are doing it? They're like, no, we know they were coming. Well, it's very similar with drone strikes. Uh, here are your options with, let's say, drones versus anything else. Uh, I can send in a foreign military to do rape and pillage of your entire neighborhood. I can send in a proxy force, a militia, which is some cash slipped under the table, and they go in and really do a number on you. Or we can have drones flying overhead and minimize casualties as much as possible. Not a perfect solution by any means. If or not send anybody at all. And then and you leave get, them alone. And then you get 9-11. So that's what we did in the prelude to 9-11. We, we said to the Taliban, okay, you know, you can have these al-Qaeda al al operatives floating around in the tribal areas. And we did that. And over four years, they put together the embassy bombings, they put together the coal bombing, and they put together But But if you go back more than that, we actually created Taliban sure. to fight the Russian. So my point is, we were the first state sponsor. Exactly. Of so fighters. If, yes. if we did not, do you like when I say we? If we did not, <laughs> we, me and you, yeah. if me and you had not funded. You see how it belonged to both sides. Were, were you? So, were you born during the whole Mujahideen in Afghanistan? Are you interrogating me? I was just wondering. I would love to see that. Can we do that? Where's my lawyer? <laughs> Can we do that? My lawyer is in the back, by the way. They here to make sure nothing happens. Uh, do you want me to go in and Why did you fund the Mujahideen? I want waterboarding. <laughs> 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 I will go with that. But uh, so let me ask you something. ISIS recruit a lot of people online. Ah, that's a lot of hype. Most people are. That's what I'm by saying. Is like I go. They, they recruit people in the Western world online. Yeah, right? yeah, but they uh, they bring a lot of Western. Like they they brought four girls from London. Yep. They convinced them to travel. To, uh, How bad was the dating scene in London that they wanted to go Seriously, there? like I can get a girl to go to get coffee, sure. and they want her to go to go uh, to, it's like, hey, come to ISIS, let's join us. How does that work? 
Like, what, what, what's their pickup line? I, I think it's... Uh, you guys monitor <laughs> these things, right? I, I don't personally monitor it, yeah. but let's say this is how I would think it would go. Yeah. Um, it starts off with them watching an online community. Yeah. And so you have an interest group that's on the fringe. And it's more extreme than moderate Islam. And you get in a Facebook group like that, or you get in a Twitter feed like that. And I've worked on this stuff before. And then you start communicating with them. You share information about what's going on in Syria. And they click on it or retweet it yeah. or whatever. And you go, hmm, this is somebody that I want to talk to. And you slowly start sharing okay. more content with them. And what do you do? This is just like Tinder, which I know you're on, by the way. And so, <laughs> have we met? <laughs> that's right. So, that's you grind, do. That's grinder. <laughs> so you do one-to-one -one communication and yeah. you say all right we're friends now hey what do you think about what's going on in syria and you slowly yeah. you know bring them in yeah and then at some point you're like hey i didn't want to tell you this but you know what i'm in syria right now wouldn't you like to talk on skype or wouldn't you like to talk on a direct message okay. and then over time that's sort of how it works the number one recruiter of a foreign fighter or a woman going to join isis is one of their friends going to join isis okay and so the analogy i always like to use with people is ants if you watch ants go to food, you know, you, you lay food out in the dirt and you'll see one ant go and then like five ants go and then 10. Now everybody's going. That's very much how it works with recruitment. Yeah. As soon as one person makes a journey and they, you know, tweet back or communicate back and say, hey, I did this. Look what I'm doing. Uh, I'm a foreign fighter in Syria. It incentivizes everybody else to do to it. Go down, yeah. and, and you see this sort of trickle effect and you could watch it in the neighborhoods in Europe very, very well. Uh, one goes, two friends go. Now you got three guys in an apartment complex, yeah. two guys across the street. And before you know it, you're at 20, 25. It happened. The only real good case of that in the United States that you see is in Minneapolis. They had that to Somalia. You had about 22 guys from Minneapolis go, and it's that contagion phenomenon. One or two go, they rile each other up, and then more people go. Okay. And we like to act like that's like a unique experience. The military works very similar, by the way. If you, if you want to join the Army, it's not a coincidence that guys from Texas join more than guys in Vermont. No. And so you say, well, why does that happen? Well, they say they see their buddy go, and when their buddy goes, this is yeah. very influential. Yeah, so they do. Okay. And that's, that goes for most anything. I mean, when you're 22... You don't really think through what it's like to go to Syria until you get there. Uh, and then it oftentimes turns out to be a lot. Yeah, but I'm sure your options like Syria, Vegas, I mean, you'll be like, yeah. ah, which one? Maybe normal go to Syria. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> who, who Syria, knows? you don't have to pay to shoot guns. Vegas, you do. Yeah. So Facebook, Twitter, and Microsoft, Google, YouTube, they're all going to collaborate to crack down their terrorist content. You heard about that two days no. ago? Yeah, they finally say they're going to share a database and they're going to take everything. Good thing off. they're doing that right when ISIS is almost defeated. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad they really Actually, stand they up to fight them. Yeah, they did it because the um, you know European Commission yesterday said that they have to do something or they're going to make an action. But You mean the revenues might yeah. be hurt if uh -huh. they didn't do anything? Absolutely. That's absolutely. I know, I know. So is that going to be effective? Dan, are you going to? Yes. What do you think of that? Facebook and Google and YouTube and everybody taking up. Like if somebody posts anything in terrorism. You know, or Dan's whatever. just afraid it'll free up all the FBI resources to get back on the kitty porn that he's, <laughs> that he's been able to get away with for the last few years. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry, Dan. Yeah, well, uh... Don't apologize. <laughs> <laughs> you never apologize to me after an insult. They took, they took their eye off the ball. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. But uh, what about freedom of speech? Dan's falling asleep. You got something to say? Well, this is not, you know, this is not my uh, forte. My, this is not necessarily my my strong suit. Your wheelhouse. Yeah. In yeah. my wheelhouse, yeah. 
thought we were going to talk about Jews and Arabs in America. Oh, we are. <laughs> well, let's talk about Jews for a little bit because do you have any Jews uh, terrorism? Jewish uh, terrorism? In the States? Yeah. No, but I mean, uh, you know, historically, that's kind of where the zealots come from. That's where the term comes from, Jewish zealots, which were known as an extremist group at one time. Oh, tell us more about that. Yeah, but that. that's going back. <laughs> that's <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Yeah. That's biblical times. Right, right, right. This is like, you know, the assassins, the zealots, the... Uh, yeah, when they used yeah. to, you know. Why, why is Israel so important to the U.S. right now? In terms of partnerships? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah I, he's, I, he's Jewish. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding but. I was going to say, that's always well, a way to all, sink this, a terrorism conversation. You just hear, we go, Why is it important? Yeah. I well, think maybe it's, it's not important. No, why they're their number one ally? Yeah, maybe it's not. Well, I, I well, would. That's the question. I would yeah. say, in terms of counterterrorism approaches and techniques, the Israelis are far ahead. The British are as well. I mean, they've been dealing with terrorism in one aspect or another for a, a much longer than the United States has, and so they have flushed out a lot of the approaches that the U.S. can assess one way or so another. So they provide intelligence and yeah, and they've also built Snitches. intelligence systems and intelligence approaches that the U.S. did not have uh, on 9/11, and that's what the debate you've heard over the last 15 years. I was sort of talking about, which is the FBI went from we're going to be breaking down the Italian mob and you know doing cases to oh, man, we can't wait for the terrorist attack. Like, we have to get in front of it. And so that is about doing intelligence. That's the Jack Bauer stuff that you see uh, that's actually quite boring in yeah. real life you and know, goes very, very slow. When I've, been, when I've had to deal with, like, a, a screener, uh, an Israeli screener, I feel like I'm talking to, like, a really smart person looking right through me. When I have to deal with an American screener, it's like they, they might as well be working in motor vehicles. Like, talking about the TS, how, yeah. Yeah, TSA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How could we possibly stop anybody with the personnel that we're using? I mean, this, it's just a farce, isn't it? Well, uh, I, I would say that it's improved dramatically. It's still not on the Israeli level. Uh, in terms of Israel, they can implement controls that we can never do in the United States for a couple of reasons. One is volume. Yeah, there's just way too many people moving around the United States. And two, it's the business versus security effect, which is if we started implementing all the controls like El Al does, when you go to an El Al flight and you're flying overseas, people would be like, I'm never traveling overseas, and That's the right. airline would go bankrupt. So Israel can implement things because of its scale, because it's small, uh, and because their people sort of understand in that context. They understand the securitization. Uh, they can implement controls that you just would never be able to do. Um, at the same point, the TSA, a lot of those checks – um, that's a lot of theater. That makes you feel good. I'm taking off my shoes and I'm putting all my crap on a conveyor. I don't belt. think anybody's feeling good about the shoes. No, but I mean, <laughs> it makes you feel like something's happening. Yeah, you but know, I, in terms of that. But well, if, I hear what if you're the saying. attack gets to the point, I, I would tell you this: if the attack gets to the point where we're trying to stop it when it gets on the conveyor belt, then we're going to lose. Uh, where we do well is with our investigations. It's with our. But you I know, think analysis. most Americans know that this is theater. I mean, we we right. we know that this is ridiculous too. To randomly select a little old lady from Pasadena sure. to be to be frisked, you know everybody knows. And it feels good to bitch about your airport experience at Thanksgiving dinner. And it was so miserable. You know, people like talking about it, and they feel like, okay, there's more to be done there. And I would tell you the weakest sort of counterterrorism solutions you hear oftentimes are this uh, defense architecture. You know, around airports. If you hear a politician saying that. That means I want to pump dollars to some contractor to put metal machine, you know, metal detector machines out there. Uh, the best stuff, and that's really what the Israeli government does in terms of counterterrorism and the British as well, 
is they are way out in front in their analysis. They are doing screenings. They know who you are before you get to the airport. Uh, they know who they want to pick up on, and they're way more nimble in that, that space. And so they're not going to waste time hauling out a bunch of concrete barriers to parking lot D. They're going to be focusing on you So let target. me paraphrase for Hatem what he's saying about, about <laughs> I know the exactly. Jews. It, we're just better, Hatem. You're not, <laughs> there's really no other way to put it. <laughs> well, I have to say, I've been, I've been through the Cairo airport, and they, they did a number on me. So I, for, I, I yeah, can't say that I haven't been, the safest been equally worked over by both the Arab and Israeli. The safest airport is in Cairo. They say, just all go, just go, all of you, just go, no problem. We, 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 we do good. Israelis not, you know, not to mention human rights. We can't do the, what they do in the airport here. Well, is it true that the only way to stop a good passenger, a bad passenger with a gun, is to have a good passenger with a gun? I, I, I think that's a disaster. I mean, I, I'm waiting for the time an air marshal fires a round off and depressurizes the plane, you know. It, luckily, that hasn't happened. Um, for the most part, people I, really flying out the window like in James Bond. No, and, and if you <laughs> in Goldfinger, did you guys see the bomb that went off in the plane and everybody lived except for the guy who blew up the bomb and he got sucked out? Did uh, that just, happen? It just happened a few months ago in oh, Somalia. That's awesome. That's so funny. he had a bomb and a laptop, and it was like he was going to blow <laughs> up the plane, and instead it blew up and it blew him out, killed now, him, now sucked him through the roof, and then the I'm there's a YouTube here. video that shows them flying the rest of the flight, very what scared. Uh, it was a Somali airline. Uh, it is. If, oh, if Somali. that were an Israeli terrorist bombing the plane, do you think there's any chance he would have been the one sucked out of the plane? Do you, in, your, in your wildest dreams, you think we would have made that kind of mistake? No, you wouldn't, because you won't invest in bombs. <laughs> it's too expensive for you. <laughs> no. uh, but the plane, uh, the YouTube you video is great. If you get to check it, they all land in the plane. Very, their that. hair is <laughs> all fluffed up from the depressurization, but they all. I'm, made I'm it flying out. to Russia now, on if, Saturday. If, there's, Assuming that 9-11 cannot happen again, and I assume that it cannot for various reasons. Oh, I think it totally could. Well, I, I, I think exact, that's not your biggest that, worry, that by the way. That exact kind of operation, taking over an aircraft, that's what um, I mean. I think that we've been immunized. Now we've, it's, like, it's like an immunization. Now we're immediately uh, spring-loaded as soon as anybody hij – hijacking is over. I, I, I think, think as, anything's as a, as possible if people have the rest of their life to spend trying to make it happen. I mean, there's somebody out there – sitting around all day trying to figure out how to take over an airplane and execute an attack. But it's, a th it's at least 100 times more difficult than it was. It's much more Because difficult. we just now yeah. assume that they're trying to take the plane out, and we immediately react as such. Yeah, we have procedures. We have controls. We know And no uh, one's getting into do. that cockpit. Hopefully not, uh, unless you have a pilot who's an insider that you program to become the terrorist himself. Just want to make you really scared for your well, next Delta Airlines flight. Well, if I hear something, somebody saying on American Airlines, this is our captain speaking, <laughs> then, then, uh, the th then yes, then maybe it's time to get off. Because the <laughs> they do have that last minute thing where they say if anybody's not going to Cincinnati, now so, would be a good time to get You up. know what? Actually, that happened to me. Yeah. They took it you did. off the plane? So the no, person sitting next on the plane decided to get off? <laughs> I went to the wrong plane to San Antonio. You <laughs> Nobody does that. Except I know. I, they, and they counted everybody and they like, you know. But the fear of me leaving the plane, everybody was relieved. Like, I would that was, be. Would you? Oh, my God, yes. What if we were together? You'd still be relieved. <laughs> I would be like, get off the plane. You'd be more relieved than Get off be the like, plane. Get so off the are plane. you guys all New Yorkers? I have a well, question for you, actually. Well, uh, I've been living here a long time. Obviously, so, Hatem is not a native. So you brought up another 9-11, and, and that's an interesting thing, I think, for us that work in terrorism. What would be your number one concern in New York City? What would be your biggest fear right now about living in New York City? You mean would it a place? Would, it be, would it be like a 9-11? What, what do you really get concerned about? A Jews? dirty bomb. Jews take over. 
<laughs> this is New York, but we already took Well, over. it's already happened. Carnegie <laughs> Deli closed their doors. <laughs> That's true. A, a dirty bomb is my biggest fear. I'm not saying it's the most likely thing. I mean, I don't take the subway, so I kind of hope it happens in the subway. But <laughs> is that yeah. wrong? I, know, I think which, cyber. Which train? Yeah. You know, I, I no, guess, no ATMs, uh, no banking, nothing. Oh, I don't care about that. A nuclear bomb or, or a dirty bomb, yeah. A radioactive device of some sort, I guess, would be the most. I don't know how realistic that is, but... But that's that would be. The I'm most. with you. What did you, what did Liz say? I didn't. Cyber hear. attacks. Cyber attack. Yeah. Why? Because no one can get money. Yeah. No one can bank. No one can work. Just uh, look what it happened. It becomes chaos. Look what happened when. Hurricane Sandy. Oh yeah, Hurricane Sandy. Hurricane Sandy was the test for cyber, crazy. by the way. Everyone was shocked at how quickly things collapsed, based on Hurricane Sandy. Most of the models were like. Ah, the city's resilient. It'll get through it. It'll be like 9-11. You know, um, New Yorkers are tough. They'll sort of band together. You know, they'll be resilient. No. We had runs on ATMs and and banking machines. We had people making runs on gasoline, freaking out. A cyber attack, a successful cyber attack on Manhattan would create a catastrophic... Thing that but no casual bombs, though. No casualties. Isn't that a good well, thing? Well, unless, unless, the, unless we start each killing each the other. The casualties would be the hysteria other. around yeah. people. If you talk to kids today, if you talk to a nine-year-old today, and you told them you won't be able to have Wi-Fi, they almost have a stroke. I mean, on the spot. Okay, but it's not lack of Wi-Fi that will kill no, us. No, but it? it's the idea <laughs> that our system is so completely dependent on our banking, our food, there are now ransomware attacks. There was one at a hospital in Los Angeles. They wiped out all the records, all the medical records of a hospital, encrypted them. The hospital shut down. They had to move hundreds of patients because they had no medical records. They couldn't even fill prescriptions inside. They couldn't even order. How much was items. the ransom? I don't know what the amount was. It was in the millions. It was a lot of money. Thank you. Imagine if you just did that just in Manhattan. You shut down the Internet for three days. You would be shocked, actually, at how people would react after about 48 hours. You can't buy gas. You well, can't run no, Not because of no internet. You, you can buy gas without the internet. How do you pay for it? You can't pay for it. You pay for it with pump, a what? Pumps with a don't work. Not everybody keeps no, the cash under the mattress it. like you, Dan. Dan. Have you ever been to a well, restaurant? You're talking about the internet. What does the internet have to do with paying for gas? Everyone you, that, that's your credit card. You your credit card. Credit card. Credit card is via not the, the internet. How do you think process your credit card via the internet? Via the internet. The credit. I mean, we've been you using, don't We've been processing them. credit cards since long before the internet. It used to be dial-up. Now it's not. It's all internet. In fact. If, you, if you've ever been to a fast food restaurant where the power goes out and you say, I would like to pay in cash, they say, I can't even do it. There and are restaurants say, in this neighborhood that don't take cash. If, if, if you, the network, with the, when you swipe Their registers card. can't even work. If you notice, they have the iPads now. A lot of places oh, yeah. do. Boom. You turn that off, they can't process any payments. First of all, Dan, don't worry about it. The, the, the Korean massage parlors take cash. you got nothing to worry about. <laughs> it. You'll be fine. Where I'm, are you going to get that? You just hunkered down. No one's go to. Well, first I'm a pedophile. Then I, now I go to, <laughs> I go to uh, Korean massage parlors. You just, you know, stop. a lot apparently of cash every, now. Every, any, any sexual deviation or... or now fetish is, is, uh, can be ascribed uh, to me. <laughs> so that's when you shoot that, back. That is, that is a funny angle. That's when you, <laughs> that's when you attack back, Dan. That's right. When we do a sitcom, that oh, ought to be your well. character. Like everybody. <laughs> it's sexual deviant. Um, Usually the things we worry about the most, my point is, are the things we've seen before. And so we've seen 9-11. We're like, man, if that ever happened again, I'd be really upset. Always fighting the last war. That's Always what you're But 9-11 is the one thing nobody worries about. 
Uh, a 9-11 attack, a, a hijacking attack, but there's something that nobody worries about. I, that being said, I, don't, I, 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 I probably would not live does. in Freedom Tower. Right. That, that, you know, but other than that, I don't think people have much fear about uh, I think your counterterrorism folks do. I, I think they legitimately are always looking at what are threats to aviation, what are threats to trains, what are threats to bridges, Brooklyn Bridge, things like that. They're working aggressively towards that. I think they are in cyber, too. I think uh, Americans are naive sometimes about the interdependencies. Uh, the other one is health systems. So a biological attack, successful one, very, very hard to pull off. But those sorts of contagions, things like that, are immeasurable if successful. Uh, you know, those sorts of things they could pull off potentially. And what's interesting about the sophistication of any enemy at this point is that they can learn so quickly because of the Internet as well. So you, you're seeing some pretty amazing stuff pulled off by idiots just because they know how to access the Internet. Look at the Orlando attack. I, I, I never would have believed that a terrorist attack in the United States, which Orlando was, uh, could be pulled off by a guy who has no connection to al-Qaeda or ISIS, who literally just thinks it through and says, I'm just going to go buy some weapons and well, I'm going to show up at a place. it wasn't particularly sophisticated. I mean, Dylan, no, Dylan Klebold and uh, Eric Hatt, what were their names? from yeah, Con Columbine? Yeah. They, they did it, I mean... A know, long time ago. I, yeah. was, I guess there was the internet back then. I don't know where they learned their trade. But, uh, you know, it's not overly sophisticated to pull off uh, that kind of attack. No, it's not. I think that's what everyone's learned is I don't need to try and knock down the World Trade Center. I can have a huge impact with very, very limited resources and just a little bit of information. Yeah, you can shoot up any mall in the 50 states and, have, and be on the— Pizzagate this week. Well, let me ask you this question. You talk How disappointed was that guy when there was no you know, child trafficking going on in the back of that pizza place when he showed up? <laughs> I guess anything. No one's looking at me. I figured you know how he feels. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> well, <laughs> I talked another lame pedophile. <laughs> <laughs> All right. For the record, Dan is not a pedophile as far as I know. Go ahead. Wait, <laughs> I, uh, um, I have no basis. <laughs> <laughs> you were talking earlier about the white supremacists and, and, and terrorists that are not Muslim. Mm -hmm. But you'll grant me this. No white supremacist is going to pull off 9-11. Why not? Oh, come on. <laughs> that's I mean, a fair they, argument they, they don't have it <laughs> I would tell no, you no hillbillies pulling off 9-11 was such a magnificently orchestrated operation requiring a level of commitment and TLC planning. that's, it, that's and right you're exactly right so there's two things you gotta look at motivation and capability and so domestic extremists have tons of capability, but they tend to be lazy. Lazy. Oftentimes very fat, it turns out. Whenever, whenever <laughs> and, you know, you, they're driving the rascals. Or right. And so they'll talk a lot. They'll talk a lot. They, you know, the revolution's coming as soon as they get through this Krispy Kreme donut. You know, I'm going to overthrow the U.S. government if I can just get through the NFL game on Sunday, and then I'm going to get my monster truck. Yeah, they talk a lot, but they tend to not act ultimately. And we're very lucky. Uh, well, Timothy US. McVeigh was the exception. Timothy McVeigh is an exception. But, I mean, these are one-offs. You know, you're not talking about groups of 20 right. individuals like we saw on 9-11. You're seeing ones and twos. And so we're super lucky that they tend to not get that motivated. But they have all the capability in the world. They have access to it. They're actually more intelligent, that I would tell you, than a lot of the average terrorists. We, we watch a lot of 24, so we think these terrorists are always super sophisticated, brilliant young people. That's yeah. not actually the case. Yeah, I mean, when you go out and experience them firsthand, you go, 
wow, I was really hoping you would be like 24, but it turns out you're just not that bright. But they're motivated. I, you know, the ISIS recruit, the Al-Qaeda recruit is motivated. They're committed. They're going to see it to the end. And, and I think that's the difference. Now, sometimes they're, especially in the U.S., we take away a lot of their capability and access to targets. Thank God. But they are committed. So uh, to your point, which is they are committed to the long haul to attack and Americans you know, in the U.S., it's hard to get here. Americans overseas, our embassies are always vulnerable. You know, people traveling for business. That stuff worries me. Yeah. Have you uh, given much thought to something I can't quite figure out is where the line between mental illness and s sane barbarism is drawn? You know, like like some guy, we kind of think the guy Dylan Roof was crazy, right. but then we don't think, the Arab guy who does the same kind of thing is necessarily crazy. Yeah. And I think he might not be, but do you have any insight into that? Yeah, I mean, I have some crude ones, which is my general rule of thumb is the further you get from Mecca, the crazier they are. And that their grievances... I like that. I like that. That's a good one. You know, their the grievances crazy, you know, are not well fleshed out based on the ideological tenets. I would tell you the line between an active shooter like Columbine uh, the guy who shores up in Orlando who's got like some sort of ISIS out kind of leanings, San Bernardino, which is a little bit more committed, and the 9-11 hijackers sometimes isn't very different. When you go talk to them, I, there have been times when I've talked to extremists, and I felt like I'm their imam, and I'm telling them more about their doctrine than they are. I'm asking them questions, and they're not too sharp. You know, they don't really know it, but they're angry. Uh, they've got psychological issues, and the more Western they are, the more psychologically damaged I think they often tend, tend to be. The closer you get to the Middle East and where these battles, Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, are happening, the more committed they are for ideological reasons and the more sane they are. They're more committed because of the social circles that are around them. They're commit, committed because their parents fought in a former—they were Mujahideen in Afghanistan— you know, the grandfather's Mujahideen in Afghanistan. Their dad fought in Iraq, and now they're a kid, and they're going to go fight in Syria. And then there's the, the line between religious fanaticism and insanity. Right. You know, I mean, if there is a line. I, I, I think another aspect is that you, I think a good insight is at what age did they come into these beliefs. I think that, I mean, you, listen, some of the things that the major religions believe are absurd, right? But if you've believed it since you were an infant, Somehow that's, you just believe it, and that's sane. But if you've never believed, and all of a sudden at 20 years old, right. you just become fascinated with this and so I believe it, that's usually the sign of something that's not right in your head, I think, because you're, you're, you're adopting it after that kind of process, the, norm, the normal vulnerable years where, you, where that kind of thing, a normal person will integrate those crazy ideas and not realize he's crazy. It's just, you know. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. When I train law enforcement folks, I'll tell them the faster somebody radicalized, the more psychologically damaged they usually are. So if you can encounter ISIS online, and in two weeks you're now wearing very different garb, and in three weeks you're making friends who are, like, encouraging extremism, and within four months you're wanting to go to Syria, oftentimes you have a lot of psychological issues. Very different is the person that grew up in a community where that's all they know, and their friends are joining, you know, the fight in Syria. And maybe they're worried about toppling Assad first, and now they're incrementally moving towards religious extremism. <laughs> Ironically, the guy who moves away from it could be the crazy one in that situation. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, oftentimes it's very much the case. And so it's very different scenarios. When I get concerned, when I see these cases, are the people that 
drift from one thing to another. I, and I always give the example, I'm into motorbikes this week, and now I'm into rap music. Now I'm an environmentalist, and now I'm in Al-Qaeda. Those people worry me because you don't know when they're going to go off the deep end, when they're going to commit to violence. It tends to be really, really quick. Boston Bombers, now, great example. You know, they, that guy was a boxer, and he was successful, and he was married, and then he was upset about this, and he was maybe into drugs. And then months later, he's detonating, you know, the, a bomb at the Boston Marathon. Super fast makes me worry because they're psychologically unstable, I think. How many people died in the Boston Marathon bombing? I don't know. I think it was 8 to 10, maybe. Was there was a lot one. wounded. Horrible. You know, yeah. 10s wounded, I think. Almost to 100, maybe, were wounded. But um, when I see that fast transition, then I get really nervous. I think you can actually deal with the people that are incrementally being brought along uh, with alternative approaches. You know, law enforcement going out and being like, hey, we noticed you're getting really upset. Can we talk about this. There's ways to mitigate it. The psychological ones are the toughest to stop because they move the quickest. And you don't detect them until they're about ready to blow up a bomb somewhere. So what's the difference between a terrorist and somebody who fights for the freedom or for the country? Mm. Like Israeli when they bomb. Who Who is a freedom fighter versus who is a terrorist? Like say, for example, when Israeli do well, something, this is a they say, oh, we're not <laughs> terrorists. It's the exact same thing when they say, uh, blow up a school or let's, let's say attack. You're throwing so Israeli... tea in the Boston Harbor because of taxes, and when the you British bomb are calling school, you a terrorist, when and you, yet well, you're saying I'm a freedom fighter for America. Uh, you know, no, the when impression you bomb, that, when you bomb Israel, a school, that Israel ever went into like an Arab kindergarten and threw the kids out the window. We're having a conversation here. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> of course, this is so. This, this is. Uh, <laughs> This is a question. Great that's, point. Great point. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, where is the other one? Where is the dildo? That is the penis one. <laughs> the penis one is there. So if if Israeli attack something and they, and they say, or even you know, us, uh, even if we blow up something, we say we were defending something, but right. we blew up civilians Sorry. in the operation in Iraq, for example. It happened a lot, you know. So, but we justify that no people were killed in Iraq. <laughs> he took me totally serious everything. He looked at me like it's gonna choke you'll, me out. You'll be surprised about how Seriously. many guests we have. I did. I didn't see from, you go through a metal detector and get a knife in my from, throat here. From his people. So, so, people. so say in 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 uh, Israel, sometimes they do attacks and they say, "Oh, it's not terrorism. It's uh, you know, I'm defending, defending my defending people. myself. You know, That's yeah. Right. So, but you would look at those Israeli individuals as whatever soldiers or you know it's but if not the Palestinians, terrorism that doesn't mean no, why, so that we, doesn't mean it's just you, you may find so it you reprehensible strategy but they but they whatever israel does even when even when horrible things happen like children are killed uh -huh. it's innocent children innocent children are killed. Trying to make it, it is no, it is it is part of a yeah. uh, of Babies. a strategy which is aimed <laughs> at getting at someone who's involved in the battle they don't. They don't pick out innocent kids in their schoolhouse and target them. That's terrorism. I understand what you're saying. What you're my describing point is, is collateral damage. What? Well, uh, that's that's my point. You call it something different because it is something time. different. So when somebody blew up a church or like kill everybody in church, he's crazy. If somebody uh, do something in Israel, it's collateral damage. But if somebody Muslim does it, it's terrorism. No, Regal he could no. be crazy. Sometimes, sometimes it could be collateral like, damage also. He'll be like crazy Muslim. Listen, <laughs> if we sit in a room and say, "Listen, let's let's bomb that kindergarten," that's terrorism. Now, if you have an example of Israel doing that, I'd say, "Yeah, that's terrorism." If, if a bomb go off in the studio right now and we all die, they're gonna say who blew it up. 
You. From all of exactly, you. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and and you. and there's some chance that wouldn't be the case. Uh, well, I didn't <laughs> say that, but <laughs> or if, if it won't be you, it'll be one of your friends who's mad at you because you're being nice to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, if you did it, they're gonna say a crazy person does it. But that's, if that's, I did it, they'll say a Muslim person did it. Listen, I, I, I it's true, well, right? That, that's a They'd different. That's a different argument. You're, there's one argument is what separates. A legitimate warfare from terrorism, and one yeah. one argue, and another question is what separates mental illness from ideological it, it's, crazy it's one, person. It's one point. What's the definition of terrorism? Like it seems like you can find excuses to everybody except if they happen to be. It's targeting, not. It's targeting of civilians. Thank you. Which for happened in, for political purposes. That's the definition happened, of terrorism. Which I'm, happened in Israel a lot. No, they don't target civilians. Yes, they do. No, they, they really don't. Then. If they do it, uh, if, if anybody I'm does... I'm not in those high-level meetings at the Mossad when they're planning <laughs> these, but my, my guess would be that they're not targeting civilians and certainly not children. If you have evidence to the contrary, I certainly would be... What they will do seeing. is if some rockets come out of a neighborhood and they can't stop them and they know the civilians in that neighborhood, but they put their rockets purposely in the neighborhood, they might bomb that neighborhood and say, listen, yeah. that, those, those, that but, blood... But they do. And they'll say, that blood is on your hands because you chose to put those rockets in that neighborhood and we are going to protect ourselves. And what they do is before they send a missile, they they actually very thoughtful. They send another <laughs> missile first. <laughs> it's a true story. They send a little missile to blow up about five, 6,000, and then that's a warning that they're going to send another you, big... I, I don't know where you're coming. Are you talking about... Thank you very much. This I, is the end I, of. <laughs> are, you talking, are you talking about Gaza? Do you think when Israel pulled out of Gaza, that uh, they caused the the disaster that it became? No, I'm you don't think you don't think the Gazan people, the Arabic people, could have kept not not torn down all the buildings, had some nice hotels, not tried to bomb Israel, not not smuggling arms. Anything with the word pulling out is always good. Oh, you don't want to be, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, they could have, but they don't want, they don't want, you know, the same piece. I don't think they, I think Israeli do, you know, I don't think that their government won't. I think the people do, but I don't think their government do. Yeah, I agree so, with that. Thank you. I think yeah. we're going to solve the Israeli-Palestinian issue Trump? during Trump administration, right? Yeah, Trump. Yeah, Kushner's yeah. going to take Kushner. care of it. The guy with the yarmulke is going to negotiate For sure. <laughs> what do you think of, of, of Trump, like, uh, you know, he... Um, Pick his third general today. That's right. So it's all going to be army now. What do you think of that? Not Is that all. good choices? I well, mean, some like of them are of... Marines and some are army. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's what you do when you're really insecure about yourself and yeah. you want to surround yourself. I, I by thought the same thing today. I was thinking that that's yeah. what Middle Eastern leaders do. You're not you confident, from... and so you're picking a bunch of generals because it sounds like, well, they should be tough, and then I'm tough. By the transitive property of toughness, I am tough because I'm around. Well, I, I, that could be true. That's not what I was thinking. I was thinking that you're insecure about your security position. You don't understand the threats, really. Yeah, I'm afraid. Like if I was, if I was president, I'd be like, I don't know what the fuck it actually means to go into a, like the logistics of it. Like these guys know, the civilians don't know. The gen who knows but the generals. And if you have a good civilian secretary of state and good other thing, yeah. I mean, I, I, I and, think it's a, if the if these are good people. I kind of like the idea of of people who've actually gone to war, deciding whether Mad we have Dog, a good chance right? of winning a war. Sure, I would also add though this, which is he is so weak in the field, he doesn't know who else to identify potentially. So he's he's basically saying like I can't even imagine a former CIA person who would be great, you know, in one of these roles, or a former law enforcement officer, usually Homeland Security today, which yeah. was a general. 
would be a governor or uh, someone in law enforcement, uh, NYPD commissioner might take that role. He's basically saying, I don't even know who to pick in this space. He's yeah. picking names of people that have been celebrities in the military space. I would tell you the big issue I see with it, let's say he just wanted to pick all generals. In America, you know, we love generals or whatever, and I was in the Army, I get it. Uh, it's great, it's a hero story. But if you were really worried about the threats that I'm worried about, let's say a cyber attack, you're picking the wrong generals. You're picking generals that want to fight the counterinsurgency and campaign in Iraq in 2007 and eight. Flynn, Petraeus, Mattis, Kelly, though that's that generation. They're known. These guys are not going to shake it up, by the way. I, I, I hear this from the Trump fans, and that's great. They're like, oh, we're going to shake it up. No. These were Obama's generals. <laughs> they yeah. actually were all in charge two years ago. If you wanted to pick generals that really knew about the threat, you should be going to General Alexander, who headed up the NSA the entire time during the war on terror. Uh, General Hayden, who was the NSA director and the CIA director before yeah. that. You should be going to General Stanley McChrystal, who ran... Joint Special Operations Command and killed Al-Qaeda across the world if you really want to go after terrorists. Those names aren't celebrity names. And this is what I see from the Trump administration. We're picking out names that the public knows. But I, I, of course, I knew Hayden, and I'd heard of McChrystal. I'd, I'd never heard of Mattis before. Uh, Mattis was huge in the counterinsurgency. He and Petraeus, yeah. this is a team, actually. Flynn, Petraeus, Mattis, they yeah. were part of the big counterinsurgency effort. I didn't team. know. You'd heard of Mattis before? Mattis. Not really. I've no. heard of the ice cream. <laughs> Matt, Mattis ice cream and Matt, Mattis was the founder of Hagen dazs I, I mean, he went on his own. This uh, is a well-known cadre I, of the. You, you're making it easy for us, yeah. Dan, because he brings ice cream to the kids. <laughs> Nothing in this. Oh my God! <laughs> Just stop. Right, listen, Just we, we stop. have to we have to wrap it up. Um, I, I think the best thing about it is that we kind of put Dan on the map with the FBI for child. child <laughs> That's right. I, I built, Stay off the internet, Natterman, please. I built a fantastic set of leads for tomorrow. <laughs> this conversation. That's uh, that's right. Yeah, but well, good. Um, what can I tell you? I don't find it particularly funny. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, you have a whole bit about it with the, well, the, the grass yeah. on the infield rule and all that stuff. What are you? Right. Um, Which I find real. That's one of your funniest bits. That's now. a good bit. That's a yeah. really good bit. But, you know, but you know I, what those they, jokes you know, do they not call that as an indicator, by the way. No, this sounds good. Oh. Yeah. Those jokes aren't calling myself a pedophile. Those jokes, are <laughs> jokes, jokes about, pedof about pedophilia in general, which is which we all find. Funny. Is this where we go into the interrogation? We go. How did you come about these indicators? How did I come about these what? In these indicators. How would you know about this? Yeah. How would I know about what? <laughs> That's a good answer, by the way. That's a good first step. Dan, Dan is not a not a not a pedophile, and and because well, one thing, my wife. The, the, you my don't biggest, know that I'm not a pedophile, but I'm not. My biggest fear. <laughs> my wife gets no in evidence. a fight with TSA every time we go, oh and one God. time they almost they almost wouldn't let her get on the plane. I could see that. But then I thought to myself, that's probably the profile of somebody who's not a terrorist. Is that right? Like, like yeah. If they want to get on the plane, they're not going to make a ruckus. That's right. I said actually, it kind of works for her. Like we were going to Israel. She's like, whatever. I should get all Puerto Rican on them. Like they're probably like, okay, just go. Just get on the plane. <laughs> just we'll get, get on, on the plane. plane. We're not worried about it's you. Fine. Just go. What just do go. you make? Because she was with you. No, no, no. They're saying like if you're if you're trying to get on the plane to blow it up, yeah. you try to keep it cool. Say yes, sir. No, sir. You know. Just sort of fit in. What do you make of Noam's pronunciation of Israel? He uh, says it the same way. Who does? I did. How do you say? How do you say it? Israel. That's correct. Yeah. That's the correct pronunciation. Yeah. Say it again. Noam says Israel. Yeah, I know. 
I know. Right. On Ryan. that note, on that note, uh, uh, we're gonna end. Thank you very much, sir. Yeah, that was a fascinating. Uh, informative. Thanks what for letting me come. Yeah, thanks for letting me come overdressed. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to share your Twitter or something? Uh, yeah. I my Twitter handle is Selected Wisdom. Selected. What's your, what's your good name? One. I forgot your. Uh, Clint is my oh, real name. Clint. I can give you other names. That is a real <laughs> American name. name. That's right. We we like five letters in the Midwest. That's Clint, why he's in the Clint FBI. Clint Watts, so five and five. You That's never right. made a Clint Shapiro. Nope. You probably like sleep on a bed of nails and go home to a bare light bulb. and yeah. uh, Outdoors, <laughs> mostly. No clothes on. Yeah. Like a chamois. In fact, other than Eastwood, I don't think I know even... Uh, Clint no, Dempsey. Clint. What other Clints are there? Dempsey. Clint did the guy did the video. Yeah, uh, that's Clint. true. Clint. Yeah, Clint Walker. Clint Black. Was, uh, yeah, Clint Black. Suffice it to say, uh, it's it's a tough guy name. We're usually a... not cake decorators. No. That's pretty much. <laughs> well, I'd imagine somewhere at some point there was a gay Clint. Oh, I'm sure there. <laughs> was somewhere. But but uh, he probably changed his name. <laughs> he didn't mean gay, Dan. But yeah. cake decorators. Some well, people like he, art. He didn't mean gay, but I took it to I I went I ran with it. <laughs> and I suggested that you name a kid Clint. You don't know for sure he's going to be a tough guy. No, who said I was? You you, you know you all you I mean the but you were in the army. I was. You got to be pretty what, tough what to be in the, in the army. army. What was your? I was an infantry guy. Went to uh, airborne run, and run. ranger school and. Were all you that in stuff. Iraq or? No, was I was a nine eleven hire. So after nine eleven, I went from army to FBI. Okay. Mm. That would make me why, why, older. No, I'm shaking his head. No, I'm shaking my head like I just can't imagine fighting in the army. Well, because you have to be a real man. I know. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's Army's fun. Um, people, I, I, I was over there just to do, entertain the troops. Where were you? I was in Iraq. Yeah, I was in Iraq too, but I was visiting my family. Were you entertaining family. any troops? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, Two different immersions. Really, <laughs> I know, three it, different ways. It, it was right. an IU. <laughs> <laughs> These are a great bunch of guys, though, when I was over yeah. there. Do you know what base you were at? Uh, no, Arif John in Kuwait. No. And then Ali Salim yeah. Air Base in Kuwait. Then when, when we went to Iraq, I forgot all the names. That's probably good. FOBs or FBOs yeah. or whatever they were called? FOBs. FOBs. Forward Operating Base. Yeah. yeah. And I forgot the names. They usually was named after somebody that was killed from that base. True. And I don't recall the name. But yeah. They were all really good, mostly. I mean, that I could see was a really It's the best fraternity for people who never went to college. Yeah. So. And uh, really, really good people. Mm. And then I asked them why they were there. Most of the most of them were just like, well, I, you know, it sound, seemed like something interesting, or I needed the money. Yep. I wasn't hearing a lot of super patriots. You know what Al Qaeda says? You. Uh, it seemed interesting. It was, it was <laughs> Not a lot of money. All right. Well, anyway, thank you very much, everybody. Thank, thank you, you, sir. Thank good night. You. I have a good night. You were listening to Live from America podcast. To contact us, please go to www.livefromamericapodcast.com. Brought to you by the Comedy Cellar and Rethink Production.